Welcome to Narratives and Nightcaps, the book club podcast where we dive into the details of a novel, pair it with a fitting nightcap, and leave a little review when all is said and done. I'm Bree. And I'm Megan. And this is our final discussion about Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. Welcome. 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 I mean, really, this was... This was a book. <laughs> this, this was a book. I I was thinking about this earlier. My emotions for this book have been so all over the place that depending on what day, if you asked, hey, did you like that book? Some days I may be like, yeah, it was great. Loved it. And other days I might say, no, I didn't. No, no do not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Just complete opposites and extremes with honestly that's kind of what I ended up writing in my review too (laughs) like like it was a good it was I mean there's a lot of really really good content but then there's also so many like scenarios passages whatever where I'm just like what is happening why why are you letting him use you as a doormat you know things like that (laughs) right and also your mental state where you just there are some passages you think am I really in a place to actually process this right and well there's passages that I'm like am I intellectually able to process this I don't know (laughs) I know we were talking about it but I said someone saw me reading this a few days ago and they did ask And again, it was an in the moment thing. It really depends where you're at in the book. And she goes, oh, what do you think of that? And I go, well, part of me thinks I'm too dumb for it. So (laughs) yeah, I'm there with you. There are so many pieces of this that I'm like, this is never a discussion that would have ever crossed my mind. And yet here I am trying to read what they're talking about. (laughs) Here I am trying to somewhat summarize and discuss it and it's a challenge so what did we pair for a nightcap with this as I just took a little sip of it do you got your copper mug yeah okay cheers we did um Irish mules because obviously we're in Dublin area so very fitting um it's just your classic spin on a Moscow mule but with Irish whiskey so I just did traditional whiskey lime ginger beer same because I you didn't can have do any different more. variations if you want, but it's delightful. It is. It really is. And you know, I always thought that, and this is not accurate at all. But I was always like, oh, like Moscow mules. That's like a like a seasonal thing. And I'm like, no, this is like an all year round, because I feel like you can add so many different like liquors or flavors or whatever and make it fit whatever holiday you want I like I remember I think it was last Christmas we did mules with like cranberry and lime for like Christmas time and it was very fitting then and I feel like just classic lime feels very summery so really you can just have a mule whenever you want (laughs) You really can. I've done the cranberry one before too. For summer, I've also really liked blueberry. Mm -hmm. That's a good summery mule, but the whiskey is a nice, a nice addition. I like that we switched it up and we hadn't done a mule. So yeah. Well, and you know, I also feel cause like Kyle, my husband is a big, bigger, I would say whiskey 
drinker than like a vodka or gin or anything like that. So I feel like he would also very much get on board with a drink like this too. He wouldn't be like, oh no, it's too whatever. Although I think I've probably at this point made him one of every cocktail that we've made for the episodes. And he's been like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Oh my gosh, I love Palomas. Oh my gosh, I love Cosmos. I'm like, look at you expanding. I'm expanding, you're expanding. Now we're all bartenders, really. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) Professionals, professionals. So true. Okay, well, let's just jump right in to this book, our final third. Loving the recap so far, the first three sentences. (laughs) I was going to say, do you like that? I really (laughs) didn't know what to say. (laughs) Here we go. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of anything? What is beauty and where is it in life? These are questions that in much simpler terms for that I put them in, but that Eileen and Alice, two best friends, try to answer via emails to each other. They've been friends since university and Alice is now a famous author and Eileen an editor at a small magazine. Alice has met a guy named Felix who she invited on a trip to Rome for some of her work and they've sort of been seeing each other ever since after, you know, he ghosted her for a bit when they got back from their trip. And she says that she loves him, but where Felix stands, we're not too sure. Uh, If you listened to the last episode, you know that our personal interpretation and vibes are not too great when it comes to Felix, but maybe that changes with part three. We'll see. Alice and Eileen have another best friend named Simon, who Eileen has known very well since she was 15 years old. Over the years, they've hooked up, including recently. They swap I love yous, but never fully commit to taking their relationship any further than just being best friends who have slept together a couple of times over the years. Eileen recently heard that Simon hasn't actually broken up with another girl that he was seeing, and that led to a conversation between the two about them just staying friends. Basically, all of them talk pretty frequently, though, and want to get together soon. But so far, we have not had a reunion between Eileen, Alice, and Simon, and now Felix. Correct. That's where we're at. And... I think because it was the last chapter, right? Chapter 21, that that whole explosion between Alice and Felix happened. And I say explosion, but it was really just like Felix is a complete asshole. (laughs) And then prior to that, so like what the last two, three chapters, it's just been like things are just falling apart between Eileen and Simon and Alice and Felix. So I think we've got a lot to to figure out these next what 10 chapters or whatever till the end so we do it's funny you call it an explosion because I think in my notes somewhere I mentioned that Felix refers to that as a fight and I don't I don't read that as a fight it's a very one-sided um unloading Yes. Um, <laughs> I think I think explosion was a little bit of a dramatic term. I because what yes, exactly. What he does is just like like verbally abuse her for like 15 minutes. <laughs> right. And I, I don't he calls it a fight too. And I was like, that's not a 
fight. No, I don't. That's just wrong. Like what you're right. doing is awful. And but what makes me like sad is I feel like this is one book. I've, in the past, I think that you and I have been very in awe of like very strong female character leads and just you know especially like Daisy Jones and the Six or you know women that really know what they want and kind of go after it and I feel like this book kind of takes a sidestep to that in that we do have two very opinionated you know strong women in that sense but then when it comes to men they kind of just like lay down and take it which is like totally the opposite of what we would endorse. (laughs) Yeah, especially with Alice, Eileen seems confused about her own feelings. Yeah. And yes. And like, luckily Eileen with Simon, like Simon's not someone to just walk all over her, but it does feel very much like Alice with her Felix situation. She's just like, you can call me whatever you want, but I still love you. Like, I'm not okay with that. That's weird. <laughs> That's wrong. I, I don't like it. At, yeah. Well, let's see what happens mm-hmm. with this. I will say certain, and don't want to like give anything away, but there are some things that didn't necessarily go the way that I expected them to. Yes. But, okay. Chapter 22. Alice starts her email to Eileen with an explanation on why she's working and why she hasn't told her when she's been flying in and out of Dublin. So in a previous email, Eileen had said or expressed concerns to Alice about the fact that she was kind of diving right back into work. And Eileen was worried about how this was going to impact her mental state. And then she also had concerns because Alice has clearly flown out of Dublin where Eileen lives, but hasn't said anything about it. And so this is her response to that. And she sounds pretty irritated, at least the the way that I read it. I was going to ask because I felt like it was very snarky. Like, oh, yes, you don't need to worry about me like this. I'm doing what I need to do, blah, blah, blah. And it was because I think she had even asked at one point, like, hey, this mutual friend of ours had like asked me about you and like you haven't responded to their text. And she's also like, well, I'm no one needs to like keep tabs on me. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it was really snarky. And she, she's like, you know, like, I don't expect you to do the same thing. Did you really think I wasn't going to go back to work? Right. You know? It, Yeah. So that was interesting. And then she transitions to provide her take on the word beauty, which was another part of their recent email exchange and questions whether or not it's a quote mistake to even think of experiences being beautiful to begin with. I will say, to be honest, like I personally disagree with her even really questioning that. I don't think she really believes it, but I just don't really find it a very, I don't know, like I don't agree with the question. I don't even find her sort of reasonings very substantial, but that's my opinion. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I do agree, and they talk about this, that beauty is definitely marketed a certain way by society and by culture, but I also don't think that that limits it to that definition. Right. The bigger question is, how is it important, as she says, and she wonders if Eileen has posed any of her questions and thoughts to Simon, who may offer a different perspective on all of this, all of their thoughts. She says that he could likely speak more to how God created humans, God's love, and Jesus's encouragement to love others. 
And despite her in-depth thoughts on all of this, she doesn't know where she stands very firmly in her beliefs. Finally, she mentions how heartbroken she was the last time that she was in love and then broke up. But because of it and through all of that, she wrote her two novels. Um, this also, she sort of brings up this, I don't know, she says, you know, it kind of felt like God like blessed me with all of these words for my books. And this, I was very, I'm confused by her confusion on her beliefs. Yeah, because, well, isn't Alice also the one that kind of, like, romanticized Christianity in a sense? Like, she felt like she loved the concept of Jesus as, like, a person versus this, like, entity. And I think... The concept of what he stands for. Right, yes. But I think even that conversation is equally confusing I mean just as much as this is like what what does she believe in does she actually think that she has gifts from God or does she think that she's gifted from her talent alone and like what she's been through it's yeah it's very I don't know I just I think that she doesn't know either and it's just like not making sense (laughs) I agree and to be fair on one level I respect that of trying to figure it out and I think mm-hmm. that's like it's really normal to to try to work work your way through that so I do respect it but when you're just reading it it's a little bit all over the place yes agree summing it up she thinks a lot of people need to center their life around something and she sees God as a good option at least better compared to her experiences. But in the end, she believes, quote, it's still better to love something than than nothing, better to love someone than no one. But like, even that to me is like, do you mean to love God and like center your life around that? Or do you mean like find someone or something to look up to? Like, I feel like even that is just very generalized. And she's like, well, I don't really know what I'm saying, but better to love something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I agree with that. It does seem seem that way. It's to me, I was almost and now I mean, I'm stretching and probably throwing in my own personal feelings to it. But it was almost like she had centered her life around a relationship and that was traumatic and not a good experience and it's almost like yeah well god probably would have been a better option for me to center my life around instead of this other person that Mm -hmm. ended up crushing me but at the end of the day i'm still happy that i loved something and loved someone over and over i don't know even that doesn't fully make sense right because i feel like the way that she describes like god and religion and jesus like she does think of it as something and someone. So it's also like, I I don't know. I'm just drawing at straws. I'm trying to sound smarter than I am, okay? (laughs) Damn it, Sally Rooney. (laughs) You made us think. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I mean, we kind of had this discussion too in person, right? Like you were, we were discussing Christianity, which is something I've never done, period. (laughs) (laughs) Except for in like maybe a, like a world religions class or, you know, world history where all of that comes into play. (laughs) Chapter 23. 
It's Lola's wedding day. Okay, one second. This is my favorite chapter of the whole book. I loved this chapter. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, if you yeah. read one chapter, read this chapter. Yes, but I also think that this is because it plays to like our romantic ideals. Oh, it 100% does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the one like not distressing chapter. <laughs> I Yes, this it just... It completely does. And then I will say I was like kind of let down when I got to like the next chapter, but really loved this chapter. I thought it was beautiful. Okay. It's Lola's wedding day. Eileen waits with her in the bridal suite, but both internally are reflecting on their childhood memories separately, not speaking them about them, but they're just thinking about them. Then their parents join them. Her, their mom also thinking of her childhood and their dad thinking about when the girls were born. And when they head to the church and the wedding begins, Eileen looks for, quote, him, but doesn't see him anywhere until after the wedding, when they're back outside of the church, and he, being Simon, is there looking at her. <laughs> like, I can visualize all of this, and I love it. I just want this scene to ha- actually happen. Yeah, like a parting of the crowds, and then there he is on And the he steps. looks so good on the steps, yeah. probably leaning a little bit. It's... And he's just, and, um, I can't tell what type of, what time of year this is, but I'm picturing like fall. I, I agree. I That'd be a good touch. <laughs> yes. Great touch. It's in a smaller church. It's nothing big. It's very yes. quaint, cute. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Let us just do this scene. If you turn it into a film, it needs to be done right. Yes. And it needs so, to be done by us, period. Uh, <laughs> Simon and Eileen are both thinking about each other, and one day when we get this whole description about one day when Eileen was 15 and Simon was 20, they went on a bike ride with Lola. Lola was trying to tell this scary story. They were in the woods, I want to say, before she Mm -hmm. kind of rode off and left Simon and Eileen to walk together. He told her that he would keep her safe, and she said that she knew that he would. In the woods that day, she sort of stopped and he's like, what are you doing? And she asked him to come over close to her. When he was close, she touched his arm and they both stood that way until he said, quote, I know, I understand, but it can't be that way. They grew up, they remained friends, stayed close, and there's always been, I think, this longing for one another. And through every low that they have experienced, just seeing the other person, even around town, if they got a glimpse of the other person, it would always give them a sense of peace. And so Eileen kind of goes over to him at the church and all of these other questions pass between them silently. Like, do you love me? Am I the only person? And a few others, but they don't say anything out loud before Eileen has to go off and take pictures. It's freaking beautiful. <laughs> it is. And I feel like it's something that just, it makes you realize just how long they have been in love with each other. And like, even though Sure, it's 15 and a 20-year-old, whatever. They don't do anything. Simon is very aware of their age difference. You can tell, like, she's kind of the one making the move to begin with. But I think that also kind of, to me, really signifies and solidifies the beginning of their friendship. Like, the fact that she found him so safe and so welcoming that she could be 
so open with him, even at a young age. It's like, well, no wonder why they ended up where they are now, because that's how she's always felt. I know. And they question it later about if we'd gotten together sooner and all of that. But all of these years and all that they've been through together and really having a solid friendship, I think could only make their relationship that much stronger in the end. That's for sure. Well, and then, so I didn't realize this because I think it's maybe even a later chapter and it was also mentioned at the beginning and I totally forgot, but like Simon has technically known them since the day she was born. Yes. But it isn't until 15 that they like speak and like have this friendship, which, you know, blossoming romance type scenario that's happening. Yeah. I want to say there's this vague memory. It might be in this chapter where he talks about remembering the day that she was born. Yes. And like holding her even, or like her, his family holding her or something. So like they really have technically known each other her entire life, but it's just that 15 year mark that it's finally like, okay, we are now, you know, becoming adults. We're realizing our relationship. This is where they really take it to the next level and their friendship really happens <laughs> nothing happens don't freak out yeah right like it is so <laughs> it's very sweet and it's super cute and clearly I like happy endings well and I think even like a bigger not to just belabor this chapter but an even bigger step back it's it's another stepping stone for Eileen to have someone on her side Because I think, like, Lola trying to be the big sister and, like, you know, pushing her away, trying to make her scared, saying all this crap. And, like, I'm I'm interpreting it as Lola probably to an extent was trying to also impress Simon. But he is fully on Eileen's side and, like, walking with her and supporting her and showing her that he'll be there for her. So I think that's also a huge building block of their relationship foundation is that, like, he has always been on her side versus ever thinking of Lola. Yes. So I will say at this point, I thought, oh my gosh, they've had this realization and now they're going to move on together (laughs) as a pair. And that isn't happening. Chapter 24. Eileen writes a quick email to Alice while on the train with Simon. She continues their conversation on beauty and whether or not it's important isn't necessarily the point when beautiful things ultimately bring happiness. So the importance doesn't matter. Although I would say like if it is bringing happiness, then it is important, but whatever. This conversation could just go on and on and on and never make total sense. (laughs) She writes about how different the three of them, being Eileen, Alice, and Simon, are from one another, but still the best of friends. She also says how she thinks back to the first time she slept with Simon and that it might have been nice to marry him and start a family. She's really just contemplating a lot of what-if questions about her life that she's feeling, but says maybe it was never meant to be that way. We all do this. I appreciate the normalcy of that. Everyone has their own what if questions, but I mean, if you just fixate on them, then it's hard to move past them and appreciate what you do have, which she seems to do. She's got like a little bit of both where she recognizes how 
good they all are as friends. And one thing I like, and I like that it's acknowledged, is that the three of them are very different. Well, specifically, Simon is quite different from Eileen and Alice, but they all have very different qualities and personalities and beliefs and everything like that. But I do like that a friendship is depicted here, that you can have different beliefs and different perspectives, but still be so close. Right. And that doesn't impact, you know, the friendship in any way. Yes. Because I don't feel like that is the case with a lot of things today. So I, yeah, I agree. And I think, um, I mean, even Eileen and Alice are, I would say pretty different. I think they became friends because of their similarities, but I think they've stayed friends because of their differences. And then same with, you know, Simon being there, it also helps to have like a hot male best friend too, I guess. But, (laughs) but yeah, I, I think that that does bring a lot of perspective and reason why maybe they are still just as close as they have been since college. Yeah. Chapter 25, we finally get a little reunion and it's first depicted as two women who we assume and know to be Eileen and Alice are hugging at a train station. It's emotional since they haven't seen each other a while and behind them Sarah Simon I said Sarah I don't know who Sarah is sorry new girl best friend (laughs) Simon carries the luggage that night Felix joins them at Alice's house where she's making dinner and they are all introduced to Felix and just kind of chat about the wedding and each other after dinner it's just Alice and Simon in the kitchen I think Eileen like goes up to her room and Felix goes outside to smoke, whatever. It's just the two of them. And Simon starts to ask Alice about her work and she tells him she's retired. It's very much a joking, but also not joking conversation, including about how much money she has anyways. Like she's like, I'm retired, but I've got a lot of money. And I also, I mean, maybe I, I don't know if I have another book in me. It's yeah. It was hard to gauge exactly what she was because also like money has come up a few times. So I don't know if that's like her way of showing like I'm, I'm doing okay for myself or, or what? I don't know. It was kind of (laughs) weird. It was, she's just very kind of sarcastic and just normal conversation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But it doesn't always come off like, readable you know what I mean like it's hard to gauge really where she's at (laughs) for me yeah (laughs) I agree Simon asks about her family and she says they haven't really spoken since she was in the hospital and then she flips the conversation to ask about him and more specifically him and Eileen he says he really doesn't know what's going on it's just as much of a mystery to him I think I can't remember what she says specifically but he's like yeah join the club yeah (laughs) Yeah, poor guy. But before they can say much more, Felix and Eileen rejoin them. And when they all go to bed that night, Felix apologizes for their quote fight. Again, I disagree. (laughs) Don't think it was a fight, but okay. And he also tells her how much he likes her friends and can see how much Eileen specifically means to Alice. These next few chapters are long. Are long. But I start getting this weird vibe about Felix. And I'm I'm curious if you do too. I've got a weird vibe. I don't know that I included some of it in my notes because I didn't know how to 
articulate my vibe, but we can talk about it. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll get there, but let's just say Felix starts getting a little more shady than he already was. <laughs> In, In my our opinion. opinion. <laughs> Chapter 26. The four head to the beach the next day. Simon and Felix almost immediately head out to the water and Felix asked Simon more about his job. Like he was really curious the night before. Yes. Sorry. Time out. Was it in the previous chapter or coming up that Felix is also low key? Like, yo, should we have a threesome? (laughs) Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. I do feel like was it in the chapter before? That's what I, I'm kind of wondering because then I feel like the next day, like this chapter, he's like trying to like, feel Simon out. I feel like that plays into like him and Simon being in the water together because he is trying to like gauge. Felix does pay a lot of attention to Simon. Yes. Um. So yeah. So he's asking him about or talking to him more about his job, which he kind of did the day before. And he's asking Simon about his home. I thought this was really weird that he was basically like, do you rent or do you have a mortgage? His I trying to be respectful of like stuff that we learn about him, but his fixation on Alice's money and then also wondering about Simon's really bothers me. Um, I think it's just because he's never had it. And so I think he, A, doesn't know how to talk about it and B, probably assumes that people that do have a an assumption of wealth in some way in his opinion should like flaunt it or be talking about it more or whatever so I just I think that he just doesn't know how to approach it or he does and is just trying to be like so how much do you have (laughs) no that's true it really it does seem like he doesn't do that and even I don't think I put it down but when he talks to Eileen about her job and realizes that she doesn't have a a lot of money but he assumed that she did right he assumed and his that whole conversation was really interesting but you're right I think he just doesn't really know how to ask about it yeah and and clearly the stuff about Simon's home was related more to hit the situation that he's got going on which we learn has a lot to do with how his mom died last year and left this house to him and his brother and he's been avoiding his brother for well over a month now uh, because his brother's been trying to sell the place. And yeah. even though Simon knows that they need to, he needs the money, he's having a really hard time taking the final steps. So, yeah, it really is just, well, I agree with you. I think it's more of a matter of he he doesn't know how to talk about it. And also, he might need to get all of this off his chest and say yeah. all of this and hasn't had a person to really be able to do that to. Maybe he finally feels comfortable talking to Simon. Yeah, I'm like, oh, hey, you're, you're a bro. <laughs> We're in this together. But then, sorry to, like, backtrack really quick, but you mentioned, like, when he finds out about Eileen, and I think he literally is, like, you and I are the same when yeah. he finds out how little she makes. Well, actually, I think he even is, like, wow, I make more than that in the mm-hmm. warehouse. Yeah. But then he's, like, but we're on the same page with that. So I think he is really trying to, like, gauge his connectability based on their income. Somehow. Their status. Yeah. Yeah. Eileen and Alice stay on the shore and Alice quickly asks Eileen what the heck is up with her and Simon. (laughs) Just like that. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Word for word. (laughs) What is up? (laughs) Eileen says that they're just too, quote, different. 
Alice tries to push for more and Eileen goes on about how it'd be too hard if they tried to have a relationship and it ended up not working out. But she adds that he's always been there for her with everything she needs and she doesn't feel like he needs her for anything. Plus, she hasn't forgotten that he's got this young girlfriend that she's aware of and doesn't like. Yeah, I feel like to me, that's like her fixation. Like Simon has gone overboard, I think, trying to express his feelings to her, like make it known, like having her over at all hours of the day, doing like normal things together, which I think is a different level of romantic and yet everything comes back to, oh, well, he has a 23-year-old girlfriend. Like, she why is, does that matter? <laughs> yeah, you know, men stereotypically are the worst communicators. And I will say Simon's done a pretty decent job. Of- but, then, but then to Alice, she kind of throws it back in his face of like, oh, he doesn't communicate what he wants. He doesn't know what he wants. And I'm like, yeah. I think he's made it pretty damn clear. <laughs> I mean, you don't know what you want, huh? Yeah. You're not asking the right questions. You're not giving the right information. Nope. nope. All her fault. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. At times, she really does bug me. I don't yep. dislike her, but she does kind of. In a few later chapters, I'm like, you are just kind of being a whiny bitch. <laughs> I've been there, so I get it. But yeah, you are. Yeah. You'll look back on that years later. and <laughs> <laughs> You'll regret it in a later lifetime. <laughs> Later that evening, after Felix went to work and the others walked around, they all meet at a bar. Over drinks, Felix Felix starts to pry into more about Simon, asking him if he's single. And Simon says he is. So Eileen is very quick to be like, uh, excuse me, but no, you're not. That's simply not true. And Simon corrects her and tells everyone that he is no longer with Caroline. Eileen is surprised by the news and also surprised that Simon hadn't said anything about it yet, but he tells her that he was just waiting for the right time, which valid. You don't, he wasn't just going to walk up to her and be like, be like by hey, the way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a girlfriend anymore. <laughs> told Caroline to get yeah. out. Yes. When they get back to Alice's house, Felix and Alice go to their room and Eileen and Simon head to theirs separately until Simon knocks on her door. Mm. Mm. They start by looking at some wedding photos until Eileen brings up Caroline, again, very fixated on her. Yeah. He says he told Caroline there was someone else, quote, the same girl I've been in love with all along. So, like, you're telling me he's not communicating all the hearts. literally like <laughs> yeah so many hearts I love this but then I just I just get so annoyed at the fact that she's like yeah he can't communicate he just told you he's loved you for like 15 years <laughs> yeah he's over 30 at this point he's yes. probably loved, she's isn't she like 29 so 28 he's or 30, 29 yeah so he's like 34 so he's loved her for almost 20 years mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. did I do math right yes I did and yet he's like, oh, Caroline, get it. Just uh, you still love her. And he's like, no. Oh my you. goodness. Makes me mad. Simon deserves. Okay, it's fine. I do want them to be together. It's fine. It's fine. They talk more about their feelings for one another, how they've tried to read each other and understand what the other feels or needs over the years. 
And when they sleep together again, Simon tells her she's the only one that he loves. Like, again, you need to make a banner, <laughs> <laughs> a chart, right? <laughs> Timeline, just she needs Something. details. Yes, goodness. Afterwards, Eileen admits that she wishes she was his wife sometimes. But when she thinks about it in detail, she just thinks of all of the things that could go wrong. Like she just is totally going down this rabbit hole of, well, if I get married, what if you have an affair, find someone younger, I'm going to get old, you're not going to stay with me, yada, 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 yada. She's so, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think she's just, she's clearly very insecure. Yes. And I think that's part of the fixation on like, he's going to have an affair with someone younger. He's dating someone younger. Like, I think that she's having a hard time aging, (laughs) frankly, is how I would put it. And then I also think that she is just very much getting in her own way, maybe as a way to like build up all these reasons that they shouldn't be together, but then trying to like blame it on his lack of communication. He doesn't want to spend time with me. He doesn't want to do this, but it's just her building up the wall the whole time. Oh, it is. She's the problem. It's her. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yes. She's ultimately so worried about them being together that it would ultimately ruin the friendship that they have, or that's like her, what she says is really her biggest concern. Yes. And so Simon sort of takes this as their final conversation on the topic and that she doesn't want to be with him. It was so sad when he was like, all right. So I basically, I mean, he flat out says like, I basically take this as you don't want to be with me. And she's like, well, it's not that, but she doesn't correct anything. And then he's like, I just hope you don't regret it. And she's like, well, I don't regret it, but. But what I also love, and I feel like this just, shows so much of like what a good person Simon is that he is not mad he's no. not reacting harshly and he even is like hearing her out and is like yeah I could I could see where you're coming from I understand how that could be scary but he's also like that's not how I feel but I see how that would be a concerning and he's it's just like mature. you are like the kindest gentlest hearted person I've ever met and I yeah. you're a character <laughs> And ultimately, and I think it was in a different chapter too, he just wants her to be happy, which is a reflection of how much he cares about her. Whether or not they're together, ultimately that's what he wants, Mm -hmm. but he only cares about her happiness. And he doesn't, he's just really calm, collected and says, okay, if that's how you feel, I'm not going to push it anymore. Well, and I think it's such a huge contrast toward when they were at the party together and he walked Eileen home because she very much was irate and angry and emotional and maybe not like yelling at him on the street, but definitely giving him the cold shoulder and then going home and crying about it all and like writing in an email and doing all of that. Whereas here, I'm sh- he is very hurt. Like he just wants, he wants to be the one to make her happy. And the fact that he is so calm, I think it's just a huge difference compared to the two of like how she reacted to basically the same conversation earlier. Yes. This fictional man is amazing. Take notes. Yes. Yes. Everyone take notes and also cast him correctly when this becomes a movie. (laughs) Don't let us down. Chapter 27. 
Felix and Eileen are the first ones up the next day. Eileen with puffy and red eyes. He asks about her work to start. I think this is kind of where they have that conversation about how she makes like no money. Yeah. And then he asks why she hasn't visited Alice if she cares so much about her. He, yeah. He stirs the pot so much in this chapter. And I'm like, what are you getting at? This is the chapter that I'm just very much like, I feel like he's got some like underlying motive of to do something. I don't know what it is, but he he's trying to get at something. He does this entire time. Yeah, I mean, they're like, you're a hor- horrible communicator, but a more sinister part of me, maybe that says a lot about what we read typically, but I do, I feel like something else is going on. This, this, this is literally in my <laughs> my, my uh, review of the book. I'm like, I just feel like something bad is going to happen because it's just so like menacing, you know? They row a bit back and forth about all of that um, before Felix just kind of like heads off. And so that's the other thing too. Part of the reason that I think he has some other motive is because if she dishes it back, he's just like, oh yeah, touche. Okay. It's nothing. He never has some sort of realization of, oh wow, that's really not what I meant by that question. Because I think the thing is like, he means it. Like, I think he, he's trying to be mean. Yeah. He just nags and nags and nags. Yeah, just like he does to Alice. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. He, He's not going to be upset or offended at whatever response because he's trying to be mean. Yeah. Later that day, Felix stopped by his own house to check on his dog and texted Alice about meeting up later because they're going to go to a party at Danielle's house. He chats with the dog about checking to see if she can come to Alice's house while texting Alice, who warns him that Eileen is not in a good mood. <laughs> Wonder why. (laughs) They all finish getting ready at Alice's a bit later and head to this party together. And Felix invites Simon outside to smoke when they get there. They make some small talk about his dog. And then Felix asks what happened with Eileen. Simon doesn't say much. So Felix just fills in what he assumes happened until Simon admits that she just wants to be friends. And Another moment where I felt like Felix was kind of stirring the pot to be like, wow, man, I can't believe she'd really say that to you, friend. Seriously? Again, word for word. That's why. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. This is a direct quote. Yeah. <laughs> and then Felix reaches out to touch Simon's hand. And the conversation shifts to how much Simon respects Alice. Because, yeah, it's very clear, I guess, it's very clear in my interpretation and in my opinion, this is as clear as day that he's trying to make a move and comfort Simon. Yes. But then again, like, Simon is just too kind. He's not like, oh, get off me, man. He's just like, oh, no, thank you. (laughs) I respect Alice too much to do anything. Sorry if I made you think that. (laughs) He's such a good guy. So good. So when he's rejected, Felix poses a similar question to the one he asked Eileen earlier along the lines of, if you're such good friends with Alice, why the heck haven't you visited? And Simon says, he's been trying to for months. And so, yeah, there you go. He goes back inside and tells Alice that Felix is waiting for her outside. 
She goes out to see him and Felix immediately fills her in on what he learned about Simon and Eileen. But all of their conversations are interrupted when Damien, Felix's brother, shows up. Damien does not speak highly of Felix, even though he's standing right there. He gives Alice the rundown on what's going on with the house and that she shouldn't let Felix make a, quote, fool out of her. When he leaves, Felix basically jumps to, like, attacking Alice and her personality again after he gives her this quick, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention my brother and I hate each other. And then it's another attack on her. And but with these weird comments about how she can find someone who appreciates her more than he does and he's not going to treat her like some famous person if that's what she's expecting or what she's used to but he does care about her and he just wants her to think about if that's enough for her well later that night the group starts to sing and turns out felix is quite the singer and his song moves alice to tears so she's immediately forgiving because he can sing yeah like what a turn of events <laughs> like what do Davey i even say the fact that she's famous he once again is like you're not better than me and then all of a sudden he's singing in this beautiful song i'm assuming it's like an in irish irish celtic maybe kind of song and then she's crying and they're back together and like nothing happened and Again, I just feel like Alice is this weird doormat where she's also kind of like, don't talk to me this way, but also it's okay if you do. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I don't care for him. It, I don't know. You just, you don't talk to people that way, especially the person that you quote care for it. Yeah. And she does. She just kind of lets it slide or she'll say, okay, yeah, sure. I'll think about it. And then to me singing a song beautifully doesn't make up for treating you like crap but I guess that's just me yeah to, to each their own I guess <laughs> wait that someone singing you a song doesn't make up for everything that they've done in the past what it doesn't I know oh. I'm probably alone in that <laughs> chapter 28 on the way home from the party, it's mentioned that Alice is thinking about buying the house that she's living in, and Eileen cannot believe this. I will also say it's not totally obvious, but it is mentioned a couple of times. Like, they've all been drinking, too. Eileen's already been in a bad mood, so I'm sure alcohol on top of her conversation with Simon and her feelings throughout the whole day, this is just she's not in a good place. She never expected Alice to turn this little stay that she was on in this small town in the countryside to a forever thing. And when they get back, Eileen immediately kind of storms up to her own room while the others sit down together. But she eventually decides to go join them. She Pretty has like a weird little like breakdown in her room though. Like there's a yeah. point where it's like, it's focused on her, like almost like giving herself like a, maybe a nonverbal pep talk to like, okay, yeah. just go back down there. Everything's fine. And then when she does go and join them, it's like she's just faking it until she, you know, she has this fake smile on, this fake pleasantry. You know, she's just trying to, I don't know, like try to fit in again. But you can tell that she's just clearly put off by the whole thing. 
Yeah. And again, it's probably a lot of things, but she is, she's cautious and somewhat sarcastic. Fake is probably a better way to say it when she's like, Oh, like, can I join you? Right. Yeah. It's it's almost to me, it's kind of like, you know, if and maybe this has never happened to you and I hope that it doesn't because it's kind of mean, but like if you've ever overheard someone like talking shit about you in the other room and then you come back in, you're like, oh, can I sit with you? Do you mind if I join in on the conversation? Oh, what were you guys talking about? Like that's the the re-entry that I'm picturing occurring in this scenario. Yeah, it is very awkward. So mostly the group is like chatting about all of their families. Alice, again, talks about how she doesn't really speak with hers. Simon is an only child and his mom adores him, but is a bit confused by him, according to Simon. And Eileen's family is, quote, okay. There you have it. There you go. (laughs) She talks (laughs) I love it. She's just like, my sister kind of sucks and... But yeah, other than that, you know, they're okay. (laughs) She talks about how mean Lola was when they were younger and trigger warning. She even contemplated taking her own life when she was 14 or 15. But then she met someone who wanted to be her friend, quote, and he saved my life, end quote. I love, I love what he says back when he's like, if that was true, like, I'm so glad that, the, like, that you didn't do that. Like, that makes me feel so good or whatever. I'm like, oh, my God, Simon. I love him. I love this fictional person. <laughs> I just, I wish he was real. <laughs> like, why can I be married to him? <laughs> such a good person. Uh, uh, I love my husband. I just want to be married to Kyle. That's all I say. I love Jared more than anything, but um, I do love a good fictional man. Felix inquired. <laughs> I don't know. Felix asks more about how Eileen's family feels about Alice. Again, just like freaking riling everyone up. Yeah. And Alice says, oh, well, they don't really care for me. So Eileen tells the group some more background on that. And it's not just that straightforward. She says that when Alice moved back to Dublin from New York, she didn't tell Eileen Everyone else knew, but she didn't until Alice was in the hospital. There was a time that Eileen just thought her best friend wasn't talking to her. Her boyfriend was breaking up with her at the time, and her other best friend, a.k.a. Simon, was keeping secrets because he knew that Alice was back. And that's why her parents don't care for Alice is because they don't really think of her as a good friend. Right. And And, and I will say, too, like, in Eileen's defense, it wasn't for, like, lack of trying like she was reaching out and like emailing texting calling whatever to like is she okay whatever so it's not like Eileen was also just oh I hope she's okay out there she was actively trying to inquire into what's going on with her life and that would be really scary and if you did find out which we know like Alice ended up in the hospital and everything but if you did find out that your friend was just there and not saying anything to you I'd be a little angry about yeah. Oh, I'd that. be a lot angry. Especially if it's someone that you consider your best friend. Like, right. that's that's just not okay. You don't do that. No. Alice tells her that there's no way she can understand what she's gone through. And Eileen says that she can say the same thing. 
it's very heated. And so Eileen storms off again. And eventually Simon goes to her, but not before Alice also snaps at him, which was pretty uncalled for. Yeah. Alice starts to unload some of her feel it, feelings while Felix listens. And he doesn't really say much other than that he isn't afraid of her. He kind of lets her process and vent and get this off of her chest. Mm-hmm. He does tell her that trying to hurt herself in that moment isn't going to do any good. And when she talks about how she feels like she might kill herself, he says that that's not going to happen, but he does understand how she feels. He also cares about whether or not she lives or dies, and he knows more about what she's going through than she realizes. He tells her how she's really quick to assume that no one cares for her for her as much as she might care for them, but that he loves her and will try to do more to show her that thoughts, feelings. Yeah. Maybe start off by like, not just verbally berating her every chance you can. (laughs) That would be a good start. (laughs) Step one. Um, I will say, I thought he handled that whole situation very so well, well, Mm -hmm. and stayed for someone who has, repeatedly not been the calmest person in the room he stayed very calm collected listened to her said the right things and I'm sure it's helpful that he can relate to the situation and we know more about how he you know went through has gone through similar emotions and feelings of depression and everything so he did handle that very well but yeah step one stop attacking her personality right or the fact that like she happens to be successful Yeah. You know, like, I just, I feel like those are the two big things that he's always like, well, you think you're better than me. And that's not the case. But I I agree. Like, and I think him at first, I was kind of like, why is he saying he's not afraid of her? But I think that's probably one of the better things he could have said, because I think it shows to her that he's going to stay like this doesn't Mm -hmm. scare him that, you know, he's not going to run off. He's not turned off by this, you know, with whatever relationship that they have. He's very much like, I'm not scared of you. You go through what you need to go through, but I'm right here. And it makes me wonder, and this is me just, this is my hypothesis. It makes me wonder if like, that's part of the reason her mom and brother don't talk to her. If like they didn't stay when she went through that. And it could be, or, or they didn't know what to do. So yeah, they left. They just, they didn't know what else to do and, or what to say or how to handle it. And yeah, they probably just peaced out and were like, Hey, the hospital hospital's gotcha. <laughs> really sad if that is yeah. the case for this person. Sure. Simon of course went to Eileen who was just sobbing in her room. He tries to comfort her while she talks about how she ruins everything happy in her life. She's ruined her relationship with Alice and her relationship with him. And every time she feels happy, she sabotages it. She admits to him that she wrote to Alice saying how she wished Simon had asked her to marry him a decade ago and how she thinks her life would be so much better if that had happened. He starts to tell her that while she might think differently, everything he has ever done to help her or be there for her has been so that he can be with her. How he's needed her all this time and even if he doesn't outright say it, that's how he feels. He doesn't want her to push him away, and he knows that it's really scary, but the one thing he wants in life is to be with her. <laughs> and then she whispers something back to him, and we have no we idea don't what know. he said. We don't know at all. I don't think we ever find out. 
we didn't, which I'm a little disappointed by. I know. I kind of wish it would have happened at the end where it's like, and she said this, and then everything yeah. happened. And this is what she whispered. The yeah. end. Yeah. I was going to do that. <laughs> Later, Alice and Eileen see each other on the staircase, and after this pause and eye contact, they go to each other, hugging and apologizing. Aww. See, to me, like... I think we knew that their friendship was strong, but that's like a huge testament to it too. You know, they've they've kind of, I think that they've really kind of been on edge with each other this whole time in person. And then at the end of the night, they're like, wait, but I really do love you. <laughs> it <Let's> is. <laughs> they're gonna stay for each other too, no matter what the either one is going through, no matter what's said, and they can, take responsibility and be accountable for it too. Yeah. And to me, that's almost like, it kind of reminds me of like siblings, sisters, you know, like I've certainly had times where, you know, Paige and I have really gone at it and then you, you make up and you hug and you move on and everything's happy. So I think that, I mean, obviously it can happen with best friends. If we were fighting, we would just hug it out too, but I don't think we've ever really fought. <laughs> but I also, I feel like that just shows how deeply connected they are. Yeah, I don't think we've ever really fought either, but at the same time, I feel like if I was mad at you, like I could tell you and be like, I'm mad at you right now, but like, it's going to be fine. I just need yeah. to, like 15 minutes. <laughs> right, like talk to me in 10 minutes and then we'll hug and then we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be fine. Chapter 29. In an email to Eileen, 18-ish months later, Alice gives an update on her and Felix in the midst of the pandemic. Wow, how relatable. <laughs> wow, been there. Done that. They're, <laughs> they're living together with the dog. That's important. She talks about an interview she had with a journalist recently and how the main thing the journalist took away from their conversation was that Felix doesn't read her books. <laughs> oh, I think that was also kind of in hindsight, something he had said when his brother was at the party and it said like, Felix doesn't know how to read. And he like took that very personally. <laughs> He's like, I don't know why he thinks I'm illiterate. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. So I love that this comes up again, like, oh, Felix isn't reading her books. And he's probably like, so I funny. know how to read. <laughs> she talks about, quote, book culture and stress and how ridiculous it is that, that society just puts it so simply that we shouldn't get stressed because it's so terrible for the human body. But literally everything, everything we do stressful. causes stress. She continues her thoughts on God and her beliefs and her questions, but whenever she feels overwhelmed by all of these existential questions, she thinks about Eileen, Simon, and Felix and just the fact that they're all alive. So again, she has a very similar pattern with her thoughts all the time of just yeah. this whole rant about something, multiple things. It's never one thing, multiple things. And then she circles right on back to, but if you guys are here, <laughs> cool. All's right with the world, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, chapter 30, last chapter. Eileen writes to Alice and shares some big news. She's pregnant. Oh, my oh. gosh. 
she, she explains how she told Simon and they both agree that they want to have the baby together. She does worry it could be the worst idea she's ever had, but she knows deep down that it's the right decision for them. Still, she finds it really hard to picture what their life will be like in a few months, but she's so incredibly happy to simply be with the person she loves and respects deeply. So everybody ended up together. I'm so happy I was really worried about them. I was too. I was more worried about them than like Alice and Felix. I was kind of like, eh, he can come and go. But I, I really did want Eileen and Simon to end up together. And I'm so glad that they did. I also think, so this is, I feel like you could place this book in any time period. Like if yeah. you take out the pandemic and the fact that Alice and Felix met on Tinder, like this could be in the 90s. This could be mm-hmm. in the you know, like any time period, the 80s, the 70s, like pick a time period and this whole thing could happen because, well, you just have to have email. That's the big part. <laughs> you just have to have email. <laughs> Carrier pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> but they could write, I mean, they could have written just letters. Yeah. Okay. Or a typewriter. If they lived close enough and this was like the 1700s, I'm sure there were like people on horses delivering. Yeah. Delivering so I think horses. that's, it's kind of cool that like this really could happen in any time but I don't know why that's a point I'm trying to make no it is it it is it could happen I do think a lot of well not all of them but I do think a lot of the things that come up are very specific to like our generation Mm -hmm. but I'm sure that those have on some level been there every decade it just kind of changes a little bit but right for sure all right well I'm super curious to hear, I haven't looked at all at what you said, so I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts are. You want me to go first? It doesn't matter to me. Do you want to go or do you want me to go? I I can go. Go for it. Okay, I'll go. go. Okay, so I said, (laughs) what's odd to me about this novel is that the point of view always makes me feel like something is menacing or lurking, and maybe it was, but in a less dramatic way seeing the characters from a perspective that made me feel like a peeping tom at times always alluded to a sense of dread that might have been there for no reason sally rooney writes in a style that makes me feel intelligently inadequate <laughs> to be reading her books but i do feel like there are portions that are relatable and a large majority but, excuse me, uh, but a large majority of the book made me feel kind of dumb, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> because I just like, I mean, again, like these are not things that cross my mind. These are not things that I would necessarily sit down and like write to someone, you know, looking at you, like, I don't think I would ever dive this deep into a historical or biblical or anything like that beauty whatever the case may be um but that being said like that does not turn me off from reading this book at all um it just makes me wonder what I should be doing to be more like Eileen and Alice and actually feel like I'm on the same page as them and maybe eventually that would become common knowledge for me as well (laughs) because I feel like they just they just come across so otherworldly like they're just so versed in all of these like cultural and artistic kind of movements and I'm just like I don't I don't relate to that but 
whatever. Overall, I, I really did slash do enjoy this read. It was vastly different, I think, from anything that we've done so far. And while it did end up being romantic, it was also a more realistic romance that I feel like didn't follow a specific trope. You know, there wasn't this classic guy likes girl, they have a miscommunication, a falling out, and then they get back together. Like, this has just been... I, and I think that because it's the foundation of friendship that really provides all of the momentum that you need to make it a romantic book. Um, I was pleased to know that everybody ended up getting together with the person that they desired. And I also enjoy knowing that they are equally flawed. And there are clearly a lot of things that they are working through or have worked through to get to the point where they are now. Um, I think I would absolutely recommend this book to someone, but I would have to give them like the precautions of a, a lot of sex, like just be ready to kind of read something. If you, if you like that kind of thing, which like, I don't mind it for sure, but it is, it can get pretty graphic and explicit. And we certainly glossed over the surface of those things in this, um, and B, the stream of consciousness writing, I think, needs to also be made aware because it does. And I think you said this even before we started reading it, but like you kind of have to find your rhythm in the novel. Like you have to understand and it's one that you have to like pay attention to because otherwise you're like, wait, is this happening now? Is this a childhood memory? Is this an email? Is this what is happening? So that's those are my thoughts. I hope they made sense. <laughs> <laughs> they did. That was beautifully said. I'm kind of nervous to read mine now. Oh, no, don't be. So I gotta make my write-up sound smart because I feel dumb. <laughs> um, I don't think I actually put it in my write-up, but I fully second the feeling pretty dumb while reading this. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, and I would add that to like A, lots of sex, B, stream of consciousness, and C, there's just a lot to process with the information that they're saying too. So take that for what it is. Maybe be in a certain state of mind when you're getting ready to do that. For sure. And I, and I also think um, kind of layering up on that, like, just obviously like emotionally, mentally, wherever you are at, but also there are obviously a lot of like depressing undertones. So definitely, I don't think we put any trigger warnings on this, but that could be something to be aware of in case that this is something, because I mean, I do feel like a lot of it is like, I mean, obviously at the end, like I'm going to kill myself kind of stuff, but there's also a lot of times where you just feel a lot of despair that is a little unexpected but it's it's definitely there agreed so I started off by saying how do I actually sum up my feelings for this <laughs> book because if I've already said this but it's really hard to say and mentioning or phrasing it in a way that it's been a roller coaster roller coaster of emotions seems a bit dramatic but I don't know how else to put it and it's not when I say roller coaster I don't mean like I've been crying and then laughing like laughing crying yeah Yeah. it's it's just a very confusing thought process for me but first I'll say that I think Sally Rooney has a very unique and quite beautiful writing style do I think that it's for everyone probably not Mm -hmm. and 
even if it is for you, it's maybe for you at like a certain time. I don't, right. if you're looking for like a light beach read, this probably isn't it. Got it. <laughs> but she does articulate a stream of consciousness in a way that is really relatable for someone my age. And I do appreciate the way that she can do that, even if sometimes I feel really stupid because of it. And even if I don't necessarily agree with it at all times, I think she's able to write things that a lot of people our age think and maybe just can't find the words to say. Mm-hmm. Overall, this novel covers like such a range of worries, fears, concerns, challenges, both big and small. I think I said I did send this to you in the text because I was like, this is how I feel about the whole novel that everyone at one point or another faces and questions. And this one, the challenges in this one are specifically for mainly the millennial generation. But like we were saying, you could take this and apply it to like any generation and then just fill in their existential worries, fears, concerns, et cetera. And and their means of communication. Yes. At times, it was a bit hard to process the sheer amount of information that was being presented. And I also don't know how important it was at times. Mm -hmm. It was there nonetheless. Um, But on another level, I also think that that kind of shows how much confusion is out there right now. And the amount of information that people are just taking in daily that kind of leads them to be confused about life in general Mm -hmm. and how to determine their meaning and their point of being. And so it does take these really complex conversations and ends up making them more normal, which I highly respect and admire Rooney's ability to tell a quote, my quote, normal story. Mm -hmm. At times, as we mentioned, it was a bit depressing and hard to read through all that was being presented. But also I think that that's kind of the case for almost anything today on a Mm -hmm. realistic level. So I would only hope that anyone going through something similar could come to those similar happy conclusions like Eileen and Alice, which I know isn't the case, but I am happy that this wrapped up nicely because I didn't think it was going to. (laughs) Yes. No, I think that was so well said. I think I do remember, I think even after we finished part one, you're like, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. <laughs> you're like, there's no way everyone can be happy in this. <laughs> I Yeah, I really didn't. I also, I really felt like there was something more sinister specifically with Felix. I just yes. kind of thought that was going to be the, you know, the climax of this story was something was going to go down with him. And mm. Don't, don't get me wrong. Alice is happy, happy. She's happy. Um, but I, that was sort of the direction I saw it going and. Mm-hmm. But. Well, and it just, because like he was so like money focused and motivated, I thought for sure something was going to happen with, you know, him getting close to her and, and doing something to enhance his situation, but compromise hers. And, and I'm, I'm glad that's not the case. I just, I think what we were saying earlier is like, he's never really known how to like talk about that kind of stuff. And so maybe that was just his way of trying to be relatable somehow. I I don't know, but yeah, I for sure. And, and also just any time that we were like an outside looking in, I was like, Oh my God, there's going to be a bad guy over there somewhere. Like that's, that's why she's writing it because I feel like in 
in movies or even in other novels, you know, there's always that it's like you're seeing them because someone else is seeing them, you know? And so I was like, oh, this is, this is not good. <laughs> but, but it was fine. It was all just like to give us perspective. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and again, like you said, I think it's a testament to what we typically read because I think a lot of the books that I generally like are exactly like that so there would have been this whole twist at the end where everything was someone else watching yeah well that's I mean that's how it felt because to me like even some of the scenes where it was as simplistic as and I can't remember if this was part one or part two but we get like this cute little description of like Simon's apartment and like the dust floating in the window the one dish in the sink like all this stuff and I'm like why do we know this? Is it because someone's watching them? <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. I'm sorry. I left all of that out. When, oh, oh, and there was one point, one chapter that they, it was in this section too, where it was like, and then the four of them went to sleep in that bed or in that yeah. house. <laughs> and you're like, why, why? <laughs> What's going to happen? Like, oh, no, that's really true. <laughs> Sorry, I left out all of that description too. Otherwise, maybe that would have come up sooner because I was like, how am I supposed to talk about this? I'm not. Yeah, like, wait, I'll just leave it out. <laughs> not important, not important. <laughs> Figure it out for yourself. But I just, yeah, it just gave a sense of like, almost like dread the whole time. But then you realize like nothing bad's going to happen. But maybe, well, shit, maybe she was doing that on purpose, like to make you feel this sense of crisis, this sense of emotion, this sense of doom or like something just negative lingering because that's what the characters are feeling. Right. And, and it's easy to feel that way a lot today in general, Mm -hmm. but, and so I will say that was the other thing too is, and I know we talked about this separately. I'm not, shaming them for those questions and I think some of it's kind of important and I think it's awesome that as friends they were able to have all of these really open conversations but a lot of it was so pessimistic too yeah and been there and recognize the depression and all of that but I was also like okay but you have these glimmers of happiness let's focus on that right it's it's okay let's just stay on that and then they very quickly would not go yes and I also think in a sense and I think this is also pretty realistic and true in a lot of friendships and and relationships and whatever the case may be but there's always that sense of like almost like one-upping each other like selfishly like my problems are bigger than your problems or you know, I, I think even Alice had said it to Eileen of when Eileen was reflecting on, you know, her relationship ending and all this. And, and Alice was like, I'm not trying to sound like a bad person, but like, he wasn't good for you. So it was almost like not acknowledging, I think the full extent of maybe how the other person was feeling. And instead coming in with, well, I went through this, you know, like, I, I hear what you're saying, but this is, this is me actually, this is what I went through. And like, it was, it was almost comparing like, a hospitalization to a breakup, which isn't fair or valid, but I do feel like that's what they were trying to do to each other. Yeah, it's not an apples to apples comparison. One right. was not like, you don't know what I've been through. Well, you don't know what I've been through. Well, you can say that about anyone, mm-hmm. I'm, any person out there. So yeah. 
like you said, I would recommend it. I would want to, I wouldn't recommend it to a random stranger on the street, mm-hmm. um, but I would recommend it. I would give it four stars. Yeah, I think I would do, man, I forgot about the stars thing. I think I would do, I don't want to say three, because that just seems like low bar, especially because it's like a very well-written novel, but I think I might do three just because I think it is not to everybody's taste and you can't appease the masses. I know, but I just, I do think that you have to have probably a more specific audience for this type of writing style and, and the content in general. So I think I'm going to do like three, three and a half. I love it. Sorry, Sally. (laughs) Sorry. I think I think we both really respect her as a writer. Uh, yeah. And uh, just like as probably a human being in general. Yeah. Girl, <laughs> I wish. I wish. If only. If only. Well, what's our next book? Do you want to introduce okay, it? Yes. So in our classic fashion, we are just turning another corner here and reading Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. I had to look up how to correctly pronounce it because I don't want to be that asshole that's like, I'm an American. I don't say things like oh, right. <laughs> that. I have to tell you a story. So the, I was listening to this podcast. I'm, I don't even know if I can say it the way that she was saying it. It was not a name, but I was listening to this podcast and the, it had a lot to do with the French revolution and someone being killed via guillotine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I like almost want to write in, and this is a podcast that like, they got some listeners. They got some money behind them. How did, did she say guillotine? Yes. Ew. Megan, Megan, I could barely make it through the episode because. How many times did she say it? Oh, no less than eight. I mean, multiple, multiple, multiple times. I honestly, I wish <laughs> this sounds so mean. I don't mean like to sound like a total like Cheryl, but I. I wanted to contact her and say, how on earth are you doing this? And then she would pronounce like French names and other things with just this beautiful accent. Like she clearly practiced that. And I thought, but no one could tell you that you don't say guillotine, guillotine. Like, what are you doing? Do you think she did it on purpose? I don't. Was she trying to be facetious? I don't think so. Oh, it, that's like saying tortilla. I know. <laughs> oh my God. It was killing me. Killing me, killing me. And I'm I couldn't. I, how how do you have people backing you for your podcast? How do you not know how to say guillotine? Oh man. Okay, I will say uh, kind of on the same topic. Um <laughs> I've seen a lot of social media content, whether it's like a reel or, you know, something from TikTok or whatever, of, um, they include like the French term, voila, like, here you go, it's done. And voila, but people are putting voila, like if they have to write it out, it's like, voila. And I'm like, are you fucking stupid? First of all, it's one word. Second of all, it's voila, like vision. (laughs) La. (laughs) But people have, and and I know um, even in my previous workplace, there was someone who would say, voila, out loud. And I'm like, oh, no, no, why are you doing that? And it's so petty, but I'm just like, don't be stupid. 
Look it up. <laughs> no. So we've got guillotine and voila. Guillotine <laughs> that's what and voila. that's what the French have come down to. <laughs> oh man, no wonder they don't like us. I, yeah. I just want to be liked by them. <laughs> I know. Like us, me personally. Like just me. <laughs> yeah. Just the two of us. You don't have to like anyone else. Yeah. Like, erase all of your other versions of Americans and just focus on us. Oh, <laughs> as we my. butcher name after name in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. As we've definitely covered things in France and I would routinely butcher it. both just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds okay to me. Thank <laughs> Thing. I, but now I feel a lot better about us. I was like, at least I know how to say guillotine and yeah, and voila, and voila. Duh. I I don't know if I could hold my tongue if someone did that in front of me. I feel like it was one of those that I'm like, I'm not gonna like make this a thing, but just know that I think you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Voila. On that note, there's the yeah. book. And we'll be back next week with a new narrative and a new nightcap. Woohoo! All right, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Join the conversation by emailing us at narrativesandnightcaps at gmail.com or visit our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com. Until next time, we hope you're enjoying a wonderful narrative.